Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. Merry Christmas to everybody out there listening. We're recording this on December 25th, and we hope if you out there are listening to this, that you had a great holiday weekend with your, with your family and whoever you spent that time with. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. It was um, a really quiet, relaxing kind of Christmas for myself uh, today. Um, it's been a beer tasting style of Christmas for me today. You know, there were a lot of gifts uh, over this past week where friends and, and others have been giving me beers to try. Everyone knows I'm a sour guy. Just, you know, hey, if anyone wants to ship me a sour, DM the bill, you know, our, our Twitter. I am all open to trying anything when it comes to the sour beer world. But it's today was the day where I started cracking them open one by one because it was a nice, tame, relaxing one um just due to other things going on in the life around me but um it's been good and it was so much easier to do this thankfully because of what happened saturday with what we're going to dive into here real quick and short and sweet with that bills win and everything that it came with yeah so the buffalo bills improved to 12 and 3 on the year with a 35 to 13 victory over the chicago bears they clinched their third straight AFC East championship and the bills have not lost a game Lucas since they, that miracle finish against the Minnesota Vikings. So they're on a nice roll here and the uh, dolphins are on a direct opposite. They have lost four straight. So AFC East was going to be theirs, whether or not they won this weekend or not, they got it done. They won by 22 points. I do this every time we're on a post game show. Tell me Luca, how you were feeling when that game went final. And the Bills got this one to the win column. That might have been one of the least surprising, one of the most just relaxed, like, okay, game's over. Just, it, mm-hmm. there was nothing going through my mind. Nothing. It, due to the weekend, I will be very upfront and honest. The, as soon as the game was over, I high-fived my fiance, Sammy. And then immediately it was like, okay, what do we got to do for Christmas? Because for us personally, we had to celebrate our Christmas yesterday due to the wonderful things she does for her career and everything of that nature. So it was immediately like gears change. I'm going to start dinner. You know, we're going to have our own Christmas dinner. I didn't even get to enjoy it, but I didn't need to because, you know, we'll get into it a little bit here more in a second, but I'm going to go out and say that that was almost the most expected result of the season. It was just a 60 minutes of pretty much everything. And Josh, I'm pretty confident in saying this. Both you and I expected out of it. I it oh, was, yeah. I think I think we both could have predicted that almost drive by drive. And it just was the nature of everything that came with the game. So yeah, as soon as the you know zeros hit, I don't even think I saw the zeros hit now that I'm thinking about it. I think I already switched the channel to something else and just went on with my day as we talked about there but as the zeros hit we'll call it um yeah it was just you know let's go enjoy the moment of course you know like i said i high fives you know my fiance and we enjoyed it a little bit and then it was just you know life moves on and it moved on in a happy way though because it was the result we expected as i just mentioned and it it brought a lot of great things to this team now and we didn't kind of have that um, this is the last part of where my head was. It, we didn't have that, um, what you call a trap game. And now we can go both eyes, all head, all focus 
on what's coming up next week and nothing tripped us up up until that point. So yeah, it was, it was kind of a relaxed celebration, I guess we'll call it as soon as it hit all zeros, Josh, how about you? I'm with you. I, you know, you and I on our Friday night show built in Buffalo live, we both predicted a bills blowout victory. In fact, we both had the bills finishing with 34 points. They finished with 35 and we shared a moment after the game where on the last touchdown, we were both hoping Tyler Bass would miss the extra point just so we could brag about having the total correct. Um, we both had the bills winning by about 20 points in our predictions on that show. You can go back and listen if you don't believe me. And um, I think the most important thing to remember here is I saw some angst among Bills fans on Twitter. I don't know if it's because the, the Bears did take the early lead or because the Bills had a couple of drives that ended either in a turnover or a punt in the second, the first half. It's also important to remember the Bills only had four drives in the first half. This was a, a very slow-moving game because of the elements. And by the nature of the elements, a lot of the passes you're completing are short, and both teams are running the ball. So the clock is just moving so when the Bills get to halftime and they only have, well, they had six points to show for it because Tyler Bass missed the extra point. He missed the field goal. Um, it, it's easy to just be like, man, the offense really isn't getting much going. And let's start with the first half, Luca, because you and I both saw some negativity on Twitter and with, with some of our inner circle. And you and I both had the same opinion where this, we're good. I, I haven't seen anything from the Bears that shows me that they're going to be able to just run the ball down the Bills throughout. They had a very impressive opening drive. We have talked about this time and time again. Don't be fooled by what happens on the first drive. That is the scripted plays portion. That's the game plan portion. Credit to the Bears. Credit to whatever they had going on there. It worked. They got in the end zone. Boom. The Bills went down, scored on their first drive. Boom. Scripted plays done. And then from that point on, the Bills had a drive that ended in a really bad Josh Allen interception where he tried to force a pass into double coverage to Isaiah McKenzie for some reason that I am just not familiar with. They had a Tyler Bass field goal. They got caught up in the wind and sailed wide right. And then they had a drive that I believe started at their own one or two yard line. In a, in a game like that where the conditions are really in play, it's just hard to get out of your own end like that. And that was the end of the first half. And you and I were even chatting a little bit at that point like, yeah, the Bills haven't gotten much going, but I've yet to see really any evidence that it's because the Bears are stopping them. Yeah, it, it was it was one of those weird ones where, as you pointed out, the Bears offense early on, we've talked about it time and time again. You just brought it up perfectly. Scripted plays. They, they had a set game plan early on that they knew, at least if they wanted to start out on a front foot, if they wanted to start out with some confidence in this game that they might be able to do something, they saw something on film. They designed an offensive scheme early on that they thought would be successful against this defense. Spoiler alert, as we all know, it was. Good on them. Tip of the cap. Good job. It was what it was. And then all of a sudden, you just kept watching the game progress in the first half. And yes, the points weren't there. But when you kept paying attention to the yards and you kept paying attention to the yards per play and just if you could really isolate play by play by play and just think about what your quote unquote eye test is doing, the bills were averaging over eight yards of play. Everything was happening so easily for them. The only negative, you know, what do we want to call that negative um, result plays or just something that just hurt them in the end, of course, were just self-inflicted. It was just stuff that it was a one read, you know, shot play that ended up being the interception for Allen early on in the game. And then we got pinned deep. 
they weren't able to have a successful series of events there with their three plays. They have to punt it pinned back and gave because of the weather and everything on top of it gave very good field position to the bears. I think that moment, and I want to bring that up specifically is key here because that moment happens. We have to go to fourth down and punt it away. It's not a great punt kicking the ball in that kind of temperature and everything involved is insanely difficult people. So of course it was kind of a bit of a lower bullet, like just get it off your foot and just no, nothing cataclysmic can happen. It happens there. I think inside the 40 on the return. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't even remotely worried. That's how crazy of a game. It felt like we were down. It seemed like, if this was the Vikings, if this was the Dolphins, if this was anyone else, of course, there would be a lot of worry going on right now, but it was the bears. And I, it was my head. Thankfully, even as a fan, even as a bills fan, knowing everything that used to happen in years past was not even remotely letting me think, Oh, this is where it turns South. The classic, the classic bills. Oh, this is where things just go haywire and we're not going to be able to get it done. Not even remotely, you know, we were Josh, we were getting tweeted at and stuff of that nature. We saw on Twitter that this is people were starting to kind of let those doubts and things creep in. And I myself and I know you were with me on this, not even remotely. And it's crazy to think that a team that we just gave the ball back to inside our own 40 and we're down and it's like, yeah, whatever. Like, that's cool. This game will progress. The The Bears will regress and the Bills will progress to the means that we know they can be. And this game will end and will be exactly where we thought they would be. And spoiler alert, that's exactly what happened. At that point in time, I still believe that to be the case. I did not care. It was like, look, yes, it's tough. We were watching our defense seem to not really be willing to tackle at times due to temperatures, whatever was going on. It seemed like there was a lack of willingness to tackle that changed in the second half. Of course, I'm sure it took a little bit of kick up the butt side, you know, just be like, Hey, McDermott's telling everyone like, Hey, get in there, get dirty, get the tackles done and get on with your day. In the first half, it wasn't going smoothly. Of course, there were hiccups. A lot of the factors going on though, that were just creating that stuff. And at the end of the day, man, it was just, it was a first half that wasn't pretty but not at any point was I nervous. And I know you share the same. Mm-mm. And even when things seem down, yeah, I just, I don't know. Early on going into halftime, I'm, I'm trying to think what I even did at halftime, Josh, because I think it's perfect because I can't even remember. what. Normally in a bad game, you can remember exactly what's going on at halftime. You know, you're dwelling on whatever had just transpired in the first half. Things aren't great, blah, blah, blah. I honestly cannot remember what I did during the halftime. And I'm pretty sure all it was was grab a water, relax. I think I was checking on Sammy because she wasn't feeling the greatest at the time. You know, like just the normal stuff. Let the dog out. <laughs> it was it was status quo. Just live your life. It's okay. Whatever. It was it was just one of the weirdest first halves I've ever experienced. In the sense of, it probably couldn't have gone any worse against a horrible opposition, and yet I was as comfortable as could be. And I wish more people out there could have experienced that because it didn't seem like that was the case. And we all know what happened afterwards and so on and so forth. But yeah, first half, any worries? No, felt good. All the confidence in the world, never a doubt as me and some of my friends like to say, it was a fun time. It was, it was an interesting, 
look, at least they kept it interesting. Let's just put it that way. It's a weird and almost arrogant in a way way to put it, but at least the game was interesting in the first half because if everything went great, Josh, I probably could have even switched it off the main screen after the first half and just, you know, watched anything that was more betting, you know, applicable or fantasy football applicable because it would have just gone out of hand early on and be done with. So it was an interesting first half for sure. Yeah, the Bears led 10 to 6 at halftime. But to Lucas' point, the the Bills, it's not like they weren't moving the ball. Their first drive went six plays, 71 yards, touchdown to Gabe Davis. Their second drive went seven plays, 38 yards, interception in the end zone. Uh, their third drive was the three and out. That was where they started on their own two-yard line. And then their last drive of the first half, eight plays, 46 yards, and then they missed the t- a Tyler Bass field goal. So it wasn't like they weren't moving the ball. Um, one thing that was concerning in the first half, I think, is something I want to I want to kind of get into here once we get done just putting a bow on like what happened in the game. There were no Stefan Diggs receptions in the first half, and that was a little bit of an eyebrow raise. And you saw some of that Stefan Diggs sideline frustration creep in that we've seen in recent weeks. He did have this situation against Miami last week where he was caught on camera saying, give me the ball, give me the ball. Well, the Bills do come out after halftime, throw, go on back to back time touchdown drives, explosive touchdowns, 31-yard touchdown by Devin Singletary, 27-yard touchdown by James Cook. Luca, I think that's the story of the game to me when it comes to the Bills offense is outside of the sloppy play, the turnovers, uh, Josh Allen had two interceptions, the one bad throw in the double coverage, the other, it was just obvious the wind got a hold of it. He was trying to dump it down to Cook and the ball just sailed. And then the Gabe Davis fumble. Uh, The story of the game to me was just how much of a push the Bills were able to get in the running game, which allowed Devin Singletary to go over 100 yards with 106 yards and a touchdown. James Cook got 99 yards on the ground and a touchdown. And then for what it's worth, Josh Allen added 41 and a touchdown himself. Um, To me, the story of this game was that. And I know this is not a great Bears defense they are going against. In fact, it's the direct opposite. They are not strong up front. So in a lot of ways, this is a team that this Bills offensive line does need to impose its will against. But you have to understand, too, they were playing without Mitch Morse. At a certain point in time, they lost Ryan Bates. They had to bring in Botker to come in and play right guard with Greg Van Roten again sliding over to center. And they were still able to open up running lanes and, and make life really easy on Singletary and Cook. Could the Bills duplicate this effort that they did against the Bears against a better front in the playoffs? I don't know, but at least on this Sunday, Luca, it was nice to see them, given the conditions, given the circumstances, do what we expect them to do against the three and twelve football team. Yeah, it it was almost like a light bulb went off in you know around halftime, whatever it may have been with Dorsey McDermott. Who cares? A light bulb went off, and it was like we are better. And every facet, every position, top to bottom, we are better than this team we are facing right now. So let's just, you know, do something out of character. Let's do something that we haven't been able to do successfully in weeks prior. Let's just try to run the ball a little bit more. Let's see what Singletary and Cook can do. And we all saw it. And there were people out there crying, this is the game that we need to run the ball more and all that stuff. And I remember, Josh, I know you saw this in a, in, there was one point where someone had reached out and was like, this is why we need to run the ball more. And I had instantly replied. Like, I didn't even think about what I was saying. I instantly replied, we can literally do whatever we want. 
Running mm-hmm. the ball is cool. Throwing the ball is fine. As long as you aren't doing one read shot plays or anything crazy, you're good. You could run a base offense against this Bears team right now with the Bills roster, and every play is going to be successful as long as you just run it cleanly. But the run game, especially, and I think you bring it up perfectly, that was the story of the game. It was just a simple part of the game, a simple part of the offense that finally took off and exploded at some point this season in this game. And Singletary Cook deserve a lot of credit. The offensive line de- deserves credit. Bates being in there, Van Roten filling in at center when Bates was out, all the shifting happening during the game, and yet they were still finding success in the run game in the second half because I think Bates at that point had come back. And it was just, it was one of those things where I feel like eventually as they started running the ball a little bit more, that was where the confidence and the understanding of we are better than these guys and we are probably, I will... I don't want to be cocky when I say this because look, it's an NFL team you're playing against, but we are significantly better than these guys. We can just act like this is a glorified preseason game. Um, and we will just run, run the base things, run the simple things really, really well. Just call these basic runs and then let your guys do their job. That's exactly what was happening. The explosive runs that took place, they weren't anything crazy. They weren't all these, you know, It wasn't motion here, pre-snap, all this stuff to create the, you know, whatever kind of matchup you wanted or just confusing the linebackers. It was just a, hey, here's a simple outside zone run. Just do something with it. That's all it was. That's It's all it took. And then you just had hat on a hat down the field. Blocking was perfect. And Singletary exploded. Cook exploded. Everything like that. And Josh Allen, as you also pointed out, contributed a little bit of his own on the ground. It was a great game where... Finally, you just needed something to be consistent and successful for this offense. And they found it in the simplest and easiest way possible, where it felt like a game where in the first half, they were overcomplicating stuff when they didn't need to. In the second half, it was quite the opposite. And as you put it, that's exactly what this game needed. And that's the story of this game. Simplify things. Just keep the, you know, keep the ball on the ground. Do your job get out of there with a positive result. And eventually it just wore the bears down. That's the bottom line. Like you could see it. The bears didn't want to play that game anymore. They didn't want to be there anymore. When all of a sudden they realized they weren't even going to be able to do anything with the simple run game that the bills were showing them, you know, on that side of the ball. And then the bears offense, which we can get into in a second is not nearly explosive enough to get back into any sort of game once you get that two, even three score lead on them. It's just they're 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 limited at this point in time. That's just where they are as an organization, as a team. They aren't able to climb back into these games late. So as long as you can separate yourself just a little bit there and create that gap of a two, three score lead, it's over essentially. It's just done. And the Bills figured out what that was that was going to get them that. It was as simple as the ground game, Singletary, Cook, Allen, everyone involved. Great, great job on just making it happen. Offensive line props to them too. It was it was absolutely the story of the game. And it was nice and refreshing to see that take over rather than needing Allen to be Superman. I will say that. Like it it was so, so nice to not see Allen have to do essentially anything over the top to make something happen in the run game or passing game. It was just, hey. 
he can turn around, hand the ball off confidently, and know you're probably going to get at least eight yards in that run. It's crazy to think about, but that's really where that offense was all game, especially in the second half. So, yeah, story of the game, plain and simple, as you put it perfectly, Singletary, Moss, Allen, whoever it was, the ground game, the simple ground game was working perfectly, and it was a nice thing to see finish off this game with a lot on the line, even though the Bears weren't really the team you needed to beat, and it wasn't about that kind of thing. It was just get the job done, get in, get out, get the win, because the win was what you needed to lock another step up and get it done and in the rearview mirror with the next goal in mind next week. The Bills did a dynamite job on defense. They held the Bears to 209 yards total offense. And then when you look at Justin Fields, the the game where the Bears really made a philosophy shift is after their bye, they played a, a night game in New England. And that's where they really started to unleash Justin Fields as a runner. And from that game on, he's had, I'm just going through the game logs here, 82 yards, 60 yards. This is per game. 178 yards against Miami rushing. This is only rushing 147 yards against Detroit, 85 yards against Atlanta, 71 yards against Green Bay, 95 yards against Philadelphia. Those are running back numbers. We talked about what kind of weapon he is against the bills on Saturday. He ran the ball seven times for 11 yards. They absolutely erased that game plan for them and forced Fields and the Bears offense to play left-handed. And yeah, David Montgomery had 65 yards. What did it amount to? Nothing. They couldn't get anything going through the air. The Bills defense was fantastic. And they got the game to the finish line. And I think that's the most important part because one of the pushbacks we saw a lot on Twitter was, well, if the Bills played like they played on Saturday, they're not going to be able to beat the Bengals. They're not going to be able to beat the Chiefs. There's two points there. One, think about all of the things that went into Saturday. And and understand, the Bills won by 22, but what people will say is with four minutes to go, it was a one-score game, and then the Bills managed to score twice after that. And if you want to make the case against the Bills, you could say they padded the score from that point on. I think that's kind of silly, but if you want to say that, you can. Two things. One, just watch the league. This expectation that the Bills are going to show up and beat everybody by 30 every week is just not how the league works. The Bills were favored by eight points in this game, and they won by 22. And everything going against the Bills as far as coming off of three AFC East games, having the big showdown with the Bengals next week, this is an obvious sandwich spot on Christmas Eve. Awful weather, team worried about travel, not getting back to see their families on Christmas. All those distractions in mind, the Bills still managed to smash the Bears. The second point, oh, the Bills can't play like this and beat the Bengals and the Chiefs. The Bengals needed a Patriots fumble at the goal line to beat the Patriots, who are, for all all intents and purposes, dead right now. Last week, the Chiefs needed a fumble in overtime to beat the Texans, who are projected to pick first in the NFL draft. So this idea that the Bills, who won by 22 points, are not capable of beating the Chiefs, who they've already beaten this year with this kind of effort, is silly. Finally, you aren't going to play the same way against the Bears in a blizzard, not a blizzard, but in really poor weather, um, in high winds, in freezing temperatures, that you will play against the Chiefs. You saw the Bills rely more on their running game. You saw Sean McDermott McDermott take a conservative approach. 
at the end of the half, the Bills just let the clock go to halftime. They could have called timeouts and gotten the ball back, but McDermott knew he he saw his team having issues just re- fielding kicks. Naheem Hines had his worst day as a returner for the Bills. Multiple times had issues just securing the ball. And McDermott even said, I just need to get this team to halftime to regroup. They were down 10 to 6. And if McDermott wanted to force the issue there, they could have gone out there and tried to play offense. But they had no confidence in Tyler Bass kicking the ball through the uprights. He probably didn't want to risk a fumble on a punt return and just figured as long as nothing silly happens, his team's going to be able to win. If the Bills are playing the Bengals or the Chiefs in this spot, of course he's going to push the issue and try to get points before halftime. You don't play the Bears the same way you play the Bengals. I don't think people understand that when they make that kind of comment. So I want to just have that conversation put aside. We should be happy the Bills won. They secured the AFC East title, and now all eyes are on that Bengals game. But before we put a bow on this game, Luca, I do want to bring up the Stefan Diggs point because when you look at his game log, Yesterday uh, against the uh, Bears, he had two receptions for 26 yards, only two targets. When you go back to look at his games, his last really blow up game was against Minnesota, where he had 12 receptions for 128 yards. He did have 92 yards against New England on that Thursday night game. But his last three games, 37 yards, three receptions, five receptions for 60 against Miami, two for 26 uh, yesterday against the Bears. Are you at all concerned that teams have figured out a way to take Stefan Diggs away from Josh Allen? Are you concerned about some of the chemistry issues that people are worried about with Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen? Or is this something that you think is much to do about nothing? And when it comes time for the money games, Diggs and Allen will be just fine. I have zero concern over this. Um, I'm going to be honest. When I was watching, so... I mentioned how it felt like the first half, maybe they were trying to force things or they just had this scripted idea on what they wanted to do in the entire first half. You have the one, you know, the one read shot play essentially as it was to McKenzie deep that then Kyler Gordon, our guy kind of made a play on the ball and got the interceptions. A lot of things going on. What I, the reason I bring that up is that entire first half. I don't even think I recognize Josh look digs way once. Mm-mm. let alone want to throw it to him. And then it just wasn't there. So I bring that up because this seems to me to be something that is trending in the way of, I don't want to call it by design, but it seems like something that it's almost like Dorsey and Allen and the offensive ideology is let's try to figure out ways to be successful outside of digs let's figure out a bunch of different things that we can do successfully outside of digs because they know it's there if they need Allen and digs to make a play i'm pretty sure everyone in that dressing room dorsey up top calling the plays Allen on the field under center or in shotgun is pretty confident that he's going to lean on digs whenever he needs them and needs his guy and i'm i i mean i'm is it ridiculous to say Diggs is pretty confident in his own abilities and assumes he will be able to make a play on anything possible? It's it's going to be there if you need it. It's going to be there when you need it. Let's almost, in a weird way, force other things, see what does work, what doesn't work in these games against the Bears, in these other games where they're just, it's almost... I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where I want to go with this point. It's just a weird situation where... 
they're almost on the fly designing more offense and figuring out what does work, what doesn't work, all that kind of stuff with every other person in the personnel group, everyone they have available. Where can we go? Whereas in the first half of the season, it was, we know Allen and Diggs is working. Let's just keep going to the well kind of deal and just let it ride until it just doesn't work. And it pretty much always worked. And I don't think it's anything to be concerned of as well with Diggs himself, because yes, he was frustrated again. There was another moment on camera that you could just see him frustrated that he wasn't getting targets, wasn't getting looks, wasn't getting the ball. But then I'm trying to think whose touchdown it was. And Josh, you'll probably remember this more than I will. It it was one of the running backs. (laughs) It was one of them. He's following him up and he just shoves him so high. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was Cooks. Okay, thank you. It was Cooks' touchdown. And he was, he's he's still part of this team. He's still excited for the team. I feel like the one thing, if anyone has any sort of concern out there, Diggs understands the goal of this team. It's not for him to be a league leader in catches. It's not a it's not a goal for him to be the league leader in yards and you know, receiving yards. None of that matters. The goal, the goal is to win a National Football League championship, to win a Super Bowl. And I feel like at any point in time where maybe at some point, like, for instance, there was that moment where Diggs wanted the ball, wanted the ball, and I don't think it was the Dolphins. Maybe it was the Dolphins game where McDermott kind of grabbed. No, it wasn't. It was another game where McDermott grabbed him and consoled him up close and personal. I guarantee I, I would, I mean, obviously we don't know we weren't there, but I would almost bet that part of the message McDermott was telling him is this is all part of the plan. This is all part of the process. And the goal is not for this season to see you get the ball as many times as possible. The goal is to finally overcome the AFC, you know, conference playoffs, get to that final game of the season in the second weekend of February and be playing for a championship. That is the goal. And today, or whatever game it is, is not about you getting targets because we're just trying to make sure we can end these 60 minutes with a result that we need it to be to then get closer to that goal and put us up, put this team in the best situation possible. So it feels like ever since that Minnesota game, and I don't want to say like that Minnesota game was like a reveal, because Diggs was absolutely essential into getting to the point that it was in that game. But it almost seems like since that game, there's been a a philosophy shift in a way where it's like, we know we have that. We can go to it when we need it. You kind of saw it in the Detroit game as well, where all of a sudden they just got Diggs involved and it just makes a defense respect it. You got to make sure that you understand Diggs is out there. We are looking at him. We can go to him when we need it. And then we'll go back to the offense that we want to run here with. McKenzie, Knox, Gabe Davis, whoever else we want to go. And it's kind of that like chess match where it's like, we know Diggs can even beat double coverage at times. We're good there. So now you have to go hat on a hat with Gabe Davis, McKenzie, Knox. And then we saw it last week in the Miami game with Knox really being that useful key piece in the offense to get the ball moving at certain points in time. And then this week was obviously more in the run game, but even at times Gabe Davis comes up with a catch. Um, Knox has a big catch that he actually got hurt on, unfortunately, but then was back at, you know, a few plays later and stuff like it was, it's, 
it's almost like the past few weeks have been a message of this offense can be productive. We're just trying to build up a confidence elsewhere. Hey, Diggs, we know you're good. We know you want the ball, but we're going to go elsewhere. And that's just kind of how I sit with it. That's kind of how I, I believe it or I want to believe it to be. I don't think it's anything bigger where, oh, there's a chemistry issue between Allen and Diggs. Oh, there's a problem with Diggs and the, you know, Dorsey slash McDermott that they don't want him. It's none of that bull crap. Like, it's none of that nonsense to me. It's just, it almost seems like they're just trying to build confidence elsewhere in the offense. They're almost trying to just run an offense no matter who the person is, no matter who the target, no matter what's going on. And then essentially seeing what works, what doesn't. And this Chicago game was a perfect game for that. It's like, we're the better player every facet of the game. Let's see what works. Well, let's see what doesn't. Luckily for us, everything pretty much worked as long as you didn't force an issue. And uh, yeah, it was all good. So this was a nice confidence building game for pretty much everyone involved. It was just one of those games where it was like, okay, yep, everything's good. The, the offense, if we need to pull this part of it out, we can do this. If we need to run this part of the passing game out, we can do this. The run game, here we go. We can do this. Diggs, you can take a backseat to this. It's okay. We will call you when we need you because we know you can be there. And Allen trusts. Allen and Diggs are still a massive thing. I don't think anything could separate that at this point. And then when the games really matter, when the playoffs come and we're playing these, you know, maybe wildcard, hopefully just starting in the divisional and everything like that. When those games are on the line and stuff like that, I imagine we're going to see a lot more Allen to digs because that's where Allen's trust ultimately lies. Yeah. It's the best thing they do in the passing game, obviously. And you know, it, it's something to keep an eye on the first 11 games of the season. Diggs had double digit targets in seven of those 11 games. He has not had double digit targets in any of the last four games. He has gotten to nine twice. Uh, but he's definitely dipping a little bit. Um, you did see him play a little bit more in the slot this week. His slot percentage was up at 40% of the snaps. That was only 12 snaps. The Bills did not run a lot of plays this game. Uh, but the last three weeks, he's been up around 40% against the Jets, Miami, and Bears. Who knows, as they continue to ramp up Cole Beasley, if you'll see Diggs move a little bit more outside. The most he's played in the slot really has been in that 40. There was one game he was in 50. I believe that was Baltimore. But for the most part, he's been around that 30 to 40 range. There's been some games there also where he's only been there about 10% of the time. So really also could have been a matchup thing trying to get him matched up on Kyler Gordon. But Luke had mentioned this is going to be an abbreviated episode. Obviously, with the holidays, we just want to make sure we got something out there. Let's put a bow on this victory over the Bears with a segment we like to call Game Balls and Game Checks. The way this works is... We will give a game ball to the player that was our MVP for their performance yesterday in the Bills victory over the Bears. With the good, there's got to be some bad. We also will have a game check award, also known as the Zach Moss Memorial Award. This is a player that his performance was so irrelevant to the outcome of the game that we would like him to hand over his game check. So, Luca, who gets your game ball in the Bills victory over the Bears yesterday? Um... It's a tough one a little bit. I, it was almost one of those games where I don't think there was the obvious standout. It was kind of just a more, you know, not to be the lame term, but team effort. And it was just overall, the team did pretty well. There are going to be some people that we, of course, call out in the Zach Moss Memorial Award. Before the game ball, 
Um, I'm going to kind of steal it from you. And I, I don't know if this is where you were actually going or not, but at the end of the day, the result and the game that we expected to have happen happened because of two people. So I'm going to give it out to two people. They share the same position. You called it out perfectly. It's kind of the story of the game. It's kind of, it, it is what it is. And that's what put us in the position to be this way. And Devin Singletary and James Cook, the run game as it is, they showed why they are a, they can be a big piece of this team. They are important to this. Devin Singletary, a little bit more specifically, I feel like people are almost intrigued by the pop that Cook shows at times, and then you get disappointed because he has a game off, whatever you may call it, and he's more polarizing, I guess, for lack of a better term. But Singletary is just that reliable guy, just week in, week out, and you almost forget about him because you know exactly what you're going to get out of him, and it's a term I love to say because in other sports and other facets of anything in the world, sometimes you really do when it's your job, when it's anything else. You want to have that one dependable, you know exactly what you're going to get, you what you're going to get out of them, that kind of guy. And Devin Singletary showed in this game and was rewarded for it exactly what he is. This is what Devin Singletary can provide you. It's crappy weather, it's not going great. You're playing a far inferior team, and eventually they're like, okay, we're gonna start handing you the ball a little bit more. And he starts making things happen because of it. And that's exactly what he needs to be for this offense. We don't need him to be a hundred yards per game. Every game. He's not a focal point of this offense, but what this offense does need is just to have that dependable guy there who then can also contribute in pass blocking as well as just being a, you know, check down reliable option in the passing game. But this was a game here where he needed to be depended on just ground and pound, make things happen, take and seize the opportunities that we hand into your chest snap after snap and then him and then cook did well with his own carries and everything involved too. So I want to give him dap, you know, props here because the run game as a whole was a big, big part of this game. And it's the story of the game, as you pointed out one last time. So for me, Singletary and cook, they get my game balls, plural. I like it. I think that makes a lot of sense. I may have gone with a cop out. If you picked one, I was going to pick the other, but I'm going to stick with the theme of the running game. And I'm going to give my game ball to Ryan Bates. And I just, one, I feel like a lot of the Bills criticism they've gotten on the offensive line, the season Ryan Bates has had has been lost in that because overall as a unit, the offensive line has been disappointing. I understand that. But Ryan Bates, ever since about week three or week four, his season has continued to improve. And outside of that one week where he had to start at center on a short week for Mitch Morse, where he had he had kind of a down game, he's continued to get better. And then this week he did start at center for Mitch Morse, and he played very solid, especially in the run game. He left the game for six snaps with an injury, came back out in tough conditions, fought through an injury, had a very solid game according to PFF, was the Bills' best run blocker according to PFF. And then obviously that's where the game was won. I just wanted to take this opportunity really to kind of appreciate Ryan Bates. No, it's not a coincidence or it is a coincidence that it is against the bears, the team that signed him to an offer sheet this off season that the bills eventually matched. I just think there's a lot to be concerned about with this offensive line, but in my opinion, Deion Dawkins rock solid at left tackle Mitch Morris when healthy, hopefully his concussion issue isn't serious and he's back soon rock solid at center 
And I really do believe Ryan Bates rock solid at right guard. I think the bills are in good shape there with him. And I think it's time that he gets a little bit of a shout out in this show. I feel a little guilty that I haven't mentioned it enough. So given the way this team ran the ball, I have no problem giving it to Ryan Bates here in this situation, Luca with the good, we got to have some bad whose game check. Do you demand back for their performance against the bears? Yeah, there's a couple candidates here for me. Um, I'm not going to paint a picture here. I'll let you, you know, call out any others that you may want to. I'm going to take the low hanging fruit and the obvious choice here. It's interesting that Bates absolutely makes sense for the game ball. And then in the same position group style, I'm going right there in Roger Saffold, man, like, dude, you are having a career awful stretch right now. And it just seems like game after game after game, it just progressively gets worse. And I cannot believe I myself have gotten to a point now where I'm not even hating on Spencer Brown as much as I am hating on someone else in the offensive line group. And that takes a lot for me because I know some people out there still might like Spencer Brown. I don't know why you do at this point in time. But like Spencer Brown is a glaring issue at the right tackle position. And it seems like it's just there week after week after week. But Saffold is just, is he being a veteran presence that's just taking, you know, the limelight off of him and, you know, absorbing the problems? Because I'd prefer if he didn't, that'd be nice if he just, you know, could actually be reliable or depended on in any sort of fashion in a positive way. Um, It's just, man, dude, like every time you hear, it's it's so bad when uh, an obvious flag for holding comes, Josh. And I'm like, okay, I'm waiting to hear 76 called out. Like, I'm just mm-hmm. waiting for it. I'm yeah. just, it's, it's going to happen. It's either 76 or 79. It's mm-hmm. one of the two. And I lean 76 every time. I wish I could bet on it. I wish I could live bet on it. It's like, who's going to be called for holding next? It's like 76 probably would be minus 290 because it's just going to happen. So, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to go too too crazy here because look, it was a good game. It was a it was a blowout win and stuff like that. But Saffold absolutely deserves all the hate right now from me in a minimal sense. So yeah, Roger Saffold, you get this week 16 Zach Moss Memorial Award from me. Buddy, figure it out. It, it's disappointing how bad he's been this year cuz I know you and I, we had high hopes for what he could bring to this position, what we thought he could even unlock if if we could get some of what he had been previously in his career. And it has just not been that way at all. And I will also, in that sense, talk about Aaron Cromer. Like that was supposed to be one of the bigger offseason moves this Bills team made. I will raise my hand and tell you I was super excited about that hire when it happened. It could still work out. I am not here to tell you that um, Aaron Cromer is the reason why Roger Saffold is struggling or the reason why Spencer Brown has not taken a leap in year two. But when Aaron Cromer came back to Buffalo this offseason, it was so easy to look at Spencer Brown as this big mold of clay, an athletic phenom at right tackle that's raw, that had some flashes last year and think, man, if Aaron Cromer can just mold him, we could have a real find on our hands. And instead, we really just got more of the same of what we saw last year, which was high athleticism, decent in the running game, particularly when he gets out in space, a bunch of boneheaded plays, though, mixed in. And then there's just times in pass protection where you're wondering, does he even know the play has started? 
And then what's going on with Roger Saffold? You mentioned it. I am still Luca. I'm starting to bang the drum for this. I have not had a chance to really look at how Ike Botker looked in this game. I will tell you, this is the second game in a row that Greg Van Roten had to play a starter share of snaps. I was impressed with him. I don't anticipate that the Bills would make a change from Roger Saffold to Greg Van Roten, but I just wanted to call that out as somebody I was impressed with. I am curious, though, how Ike Botker graded out in the Bills' minds and if that's a move, if they view Saffold as the liability that you and I do and PFF does, if that's a move they would make midseason, because I think the Bills have to be willing to turn over any stone to try to improve this offensive line. And there are some options in-house right now that can improve what we both agree is the weakest spot, that left guard position. My game check award is going to be 100% not fair to this player. He has had a dynamite year. Unlike the player you just mentioned, Luca, who was a Pro Bowl alternate and Roger Saffold, my player is a Pro Bowl alternate and he 100% deserves it because he's been clutch for this team all season long. But quite honestly, Tyler Bass could have just taken Sunday off and it really wouldn't have mattered for issues that he really could not control. It seemed like he had the absolute worst luck when it came to the ball left his foot and here comes a gust of wind. And it was almost comical. And it got to the point where you're watching this game and you're thinking the Bills just need to take the field goal out of their playbook at this point, whether it's an extra point or whether it's a field goal. And I know he hit one later in the game. And then there was even a situation where, for whatever reason, the Bills were having a down day on special teams. Naheem Hines was having trouble fielding kicks. They were losing the field position battle both on kick return coverage and kickoff returns. So from that standpoint, this wasn't Tyler Bass's best afternoon. I think a lot of it is 100% forgivable. I still love the fact that Tyler Bass is our kicker. But the nature of this award, I think Tyler Bass could have taken the afternoon off and the difference in this game wouldn't have been much different. So from there, Tyler Bass gets my game check Zach Moss Memorial Award. I think for the first time this year, and I can't imagine he'd get it again. I, I hope he doesn't get it again, Luca, because... Outside of a situation where the wind blows a couple balls to the right or left, I can't see a situation where a kicker gets a game check award unless it's a really painful situation that nobody wants to talk about. So let's move on from this Bears game. We do have the results of the out-of-town scoreboard. Right now, the Bucks and Cardinals are still in progress as we're recording this, but that obviously has no impact on what's going on with the Bills. The Chargers and Colts are playing tomorrow night, but... Just broad question, Luca. What did you learn on the out-of-town scoreboard this week? Any any team impress you more than you thought they would? Any team that you thought was a certain level um, depress you a little bit, maybe specifically in the AFC? I know we could probably talk about the Detroit Lions, how they laid an egg in the pan with the Panthers. But let's stick with the AFC here, looking at the playoff picture. Um, any team that you have a vastly different opinion on than you did maybe, say, three days ago? Ooh. I like this question. I think this is the first question you've ever asked me on air. Of like that you like? Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. no. Plenty of good questions. No, this this particular question is the first time you've asked me on air. Um, I want to, so I'll get into what I will dive into on this point, but I want to start with a key thing because it applies the most to the bills in what's coming up. Mm -hmm. The Bengals. Even without poor, it seems like metrics and grades seem to grade Lyle Collins looked completely different against the Patriots 
when he got hurt and now it sounds like he's out for the season than when he was in there prior. They looked like they were about to just destroy the Patriots. They were well on their way to doing it. It was 22 nothing, I want to say. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Lyle Collins has the unfortunate injury that he does. He goes out. And I mean, it kind of makes sense when any team loses their left tackle. It's a big, big injury, no matter how good or bad they are. If they are your starting left tackle, that is a big, big problem. As I, I think you've brought it up in, in previous episodes, there are certain positions that even betting weighs a lot in on quarterback, of course, um, edge of presence, you know, big time edge rusher, and then tackles, mm -hmm. offensive tackles. It's particularly the left tackle position. And when that guy goes down, that's a big deal that can sway points. And in that Patriots Bengals game, Lyle Collins goes out and that game changed. It took honestly one, the Patriots had a little bit of their classic Patriots magic to get back into the game, but then it took the Patriots to then F it up for lack of a better term to lose it in the end. Like that's <laughs> what really, it, it is what it is, but like, that's what it took because the Bengals just could not do anything offensively. That could be a big thing going against them in this upcoming game that the bills luckily have now not dealing with a left tackle that they know they normally can depend on. So that's one thing I learned. It's it's interesting to see what the Bengals are going to do about that. But of course, the low-hanging fruit here, recording on Christmas night now, watching this Tampa Bay Arizona game is not this game itself. It was the first game of this day, and it was the Green Bay Miami game. And just a month ago, I was sitting here telling you that we need to finally put respect on Tua's name and all that fun jazz. Things change when you watch that game single-handedly. That was um we have a an acquaintance both you and i uh he goes by the name nino um he he said it at one point during that game you know it was like Tua's back and it's like yep that's exactly what that game felt like in the second half tua is back this is the quarterback that going into the year i think you and i and every or a lot of people at least expected to kind of be the constant throughout the season and he was playing a lot high at a lot higher standard than that for the first half of the season, we'll call it, I guess. I'm trying to think. They were eight and three at one point, and he was doing really, really well. Now, all of a sudden, it was he's come down to earth a little bit. I think he was decent in the Bills game, even though it was a loss. And then this game was like he single handedly cost them the game. Every interception he threw just got progressively worse. And I feel like the Dolphins are in a downward spiral that they have no chance of getting out of at this point in time right now. Like it is, if you, I don't think any Dolphins fans are listening to us right now, Josh, but if you are a Dolphins fan, if you are someone that actually has any, you know, desire to want to root for that team, you have to be fearful of what the future has for you because they have a crucial game uh, week 18 against the jets. They have a big game for them against the Patriots. It's interesting how, with how all the results happened, I just want to point this out. The jets cannot get better or worse. They need to beat Seattle in Seattle, of course, but as long as they take care of business in Seattle, which if Geno Smith can actually end the jet season, boy, that's something else. But if the jets take care of business, that game doesn't matter. And it's essentially the jets winning in because I would hope that the bills will take care of business against the Patriots. 
you know, for our sake and a lot of things on the line, assuming, you know, depending on what's going on in Cincinnati and the dolphins really are in a position right now that I don't think they have any confidence going into new England. I don't know how you do. I mean, everything is just going wrong Tua seems to be just, I don't know what is going on with him anymore. Or, or maybe we do, maybe this is just the Tua he's back as Nino put it. And it's like, this is what you get now. And it, 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 it's so fascinating to me to see how Tua and last year had this crazy run of losses and then figured it out and had a lot of wins. He had a big stretch of wins this season earlier on in the season. And now all of a sudden has a, an L four going on. And it seems like this team, that defense stinks right now, Josh, they're awful. And it's, it's awful. And Tua is just costing them game after game after game, except for, Bills game, like I said, but they just lost to you know a superior team, <laughs> wink. But um, it's it's this is a wild situation going on down in Miami. That is the one thing that I think everyone is fascinated with, and I imagine the national sports media, Josh, is going to be fascinating to listen to talk about Miami because I don't know what anyone is going to say about this team right now. Yeah, Miami. Um, so. <laughs> I feel like all due respect to the Jets and the Patriots. I feel like what happened to the Jets this week really just put them too far behind the eight ball. Uh, If Mike White was back this week, I would have some confidence that they could go to Seattle and beat the Seahawks. The Seahawks are in a bit of a tailspin on their own. They did lose to the Chiefs this week, but they've lost some really bad games for a team that's trying to compete for a playoff spot. They lost a home game to Carolina. They've had some really disappointing outcomes here recently. Um, so I could obviously see the Jets go there and win even uh, who would be their quarterback this week if it's not Mike White. Have they for sure moved on from Zach Wilson? I guess we'll find out. Have you heard anything? I haven't heard anything. No. I mean, I, I feel like they need to move on from Zach Wilson regardless. Yeah, I mean, we saw Joe Flacco go into Cleveland and win them a game emphatically. So at this point in time, man, you have to move on from Zach Wilson. He is just not it. I can't believe I'm saying it here, you know, but it is what it is. And the reality is you need to win football games now. And yeah, you got to move on to whatever's available, whether it's Joe Flacco, Mike White, maybe, but it ain't Zach Wilson. You need, I mean, I will say this as someone that has watched Trevler in a game where it's a must win, you yeah. can't be putting him in. <laughs> oh, he was brutal. I, all this love he got the other night. I mean, he could not complete a pass. I, I don't know how anyone could appreciate anything about Chris Treveller. No disrespect to it. Chris Treveller is a guy that he borderline makes NFL rosters. Like, you can't be hating on a guy yeah. like that. He does have a CFL Grey Cup, people. He does have it. He had a nice little run there with the, uh, uh, I believe it was the, what are they, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, I want to say they are. Just shout out to them. CFL, a little bit of love there. But, um, yeah, like you can't be going with Streveler. I will say that you got to go with Zach Wilson. If your options are Zach Wilson and Streveler, but if Joe Flacco is available by any chance, or Mike white has save 85% Mike white, and he won't kill himself. If he takes another shot to the ribs, you got to go elsewhere. You cannot go with Zach white. So it's interesting. So this, this bills Bengals game is just so massive and we're going to have all week to talk about it. I, I do echo what you said about Lyle Collins. And look, I love the Bills. I My heart is the Bills. Everything about what I love about football has to do with wanting to see the Bills win a championship. So if something happens that makes the Bills' life easier, I'm in favor of it. Period on the end of that sentence. 
I'm a huge Joe Burrow fan. Just as I know you are too, Luca. And it's, it's so frustrating to see the lack of protection they've been able to give him. And then they finally get Lyle Collins who has not been great this year. And he, even he's out and I'm not here to like throw a pity party for Joe Burrow. And, you know, and I think this does massively help the bills chances this week, but it is frustrating when you look at some of the stuff Joe Burrow deals with on a week and week out basis. And then, you know, you have dolphins fans that are still trying to convince themselves that somehow some way two is the best quarterback in that draft class when it's just like, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert are making chicken salad out of chicken bleep on a, on a daily basis when they take the field, especially when it comes to their pass protection. Everybody wants to talk about how their weapons are, and they have fantastic weapons, but the protection they get leaves a lot to be desired. If the Bills were to lose to the Bengals, which is a possibility, I haven't seen a line for that game, but I think it's about a coin flip of a game either way. The, the real reality of that becomes the bills would most likely be the three seed because you have to, at this point, assume the chiefs are going to win out. And then it really comes down to if the Bengals win, win week 18 against the Ravens, they would be the two seed. If the Bengals lose week 18 against the Ravens, the bills would be the two seed. But that actually, to me with the dolphins loss today, as enjoyable as it was, would put the bills most likely in line to have a round one matchup with the LA chargers, which is the least desirable matchup I have on the board. And a lot can happen. The chargers could absolutely go to Indianapolis tomorrow night and lose as Luca likes to say all the time. Anytime you think the chargers are good, they will remind you why they are the chargers. So don't be surprised if they go to Indianapolis tomorrow night and lose and lose like three or four key players in the process. They are a snake bitten team, but that team to me as inconsistent as they are when they're at the top of that roller coaster ride, they can punch with anybody. And I don't want to see them on the top of that roller coaster ride showing up in Buffalo week one of the playoffs. The easiest way to avoid that go handle your business next week in Cincinnati, then get to the finish line of this goal. The bills have had for the better part of the last 12 months and get that number one seed, get the playoffs coming through orchard park. You'd obviously have to finish the job week 18 against new England. But if this bills team beats the Bengals on Monday night, there is just a next to zero chance. They are losing to new England in Buffalo with everything on the line. I cannot wait this week, Luca, to talk about this Bengals bills matchup. It is only Sunday and I'm already thinking about next Monday. Oh, it's, it's all that's been on my mind today. I mean, I've been I've been doing my normal gambling. I've been watching the games. I've been doing all that stuff. I've had a productive Christmas day, you know, at home. But yeah, there's almost been like the so that's the left side of my brain. I don't actually know what you know what side of the brain's supposed to be doing what. Of course, I'm not a you know biologist here, but the left side of my brain's been focused on the day to day, and then all of a sudden, my right side has just been all about Monday night next week, Bills, Bengals. I will say this. Josh, I know you love to do this off air. You love to predict the lines and stuff. I did just peek at that while you went on your little rant here. I'm going to put you on the spot right now on air. Love it. What do you think the line is currently at? It seems to have opened for Bills at Bengals Monday night in Cincinnati. Let me think about this. I'm going I'm to let you guys into my thought process here. I think Vegas is a little higher on the Bills than the Bengals. I think the Lyle Collins injury is real. And I think the Bills 
at least when you look at the scoreboard, were more impressive than the Bengals on New England. And a lot of time when it comes to public money, which can drive the early lines, as Luca knows, a lot of times those early lines in the week are driven by public money. And then when when the Sharks get in later in the week, they're, they're more looking at the analytics. So I think with all of that, there's going to be a lot with public money and Vegas, the Lyle Collins injury. That's going to favor the Bills in this matchup. I think it's going to be close, but I'm going to say Bills are favored by two. Ooh, very close. It's it's Bills by one and a half at this point in time, according to DraftKings. It's pretty pretty spot on. Yeah, it's it makes sense to me. Early mm-hmm. on, opening line, you know, as you put it, Vegas loves the Bills. Vegas mm-hmm. loves the Bills. So the the old uh, adage and wisdom is, you know, home team gets three points. But then the Lyle Collins injury matters and Vegas loves the bills that gives you the half point for the love. It gives you the four points for the, you know, love plus injury key injury situation. We'll call it the bills are probably looked at as the slightly better team as well. Um, So yeah, that adds up all to your four and a half point difference, which brings you to that one and a half point favorite at this point in time. No additional juice on that, by the way, it is an even one ten split for that one and a half at this point in time, but that's normal for the opening line. So not a surprise there. We'll see how it moves when the money starts coming in. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's all I can think about right now. It's, it's the biggest game of the season It's you know, what's funny, Josh, to me about this game. It's, it's a weird thing. If you pull yourself out of being a bills fan and you just think about being a football fan and the one complaint I feel like I have about being a football fan, think about what we're about to watch tomorrow. It's Chargers at Colts, and somehow they screwed it up. And honestly, I don't really give a bleep about that game whatsoever. It's just a bad football game, potentially. You got Nick Foles and not Jonathan Taylor because he's out for the season against the Chargers, who have stuff on the line, which so it's kind of important, but it's kind of one of those games that's not exactly appealing to the general public. Yeah, and they always ESPN screws that up, it seems like. Every year, all games don't. The one thing they didn't screw up, it was the obvious choice to put this game here, put this one at Monday night. This is clearly going to be, I will be honest, when we did our preseason show, Josh, I didn't think this game would matter as much as it did. And I know you did. So I want to give you props to that. This game essentially is going to shape the conference that is the AFC and what people feel to be the better conference. It's the more important one. The one that seeding matters a hell of a lot more. Because when you think about it, if you want to look at the NFC side, the second best team in the NFC in a lot of people's minds is going to be the five seed. It's going to be similar to like 2020, where you have the one seed who at 2020 was the Saints because they had, you know, gotten the division over top of the Bucks, but the Bucks had just gotten Brady and the Bucks were a very good team. They started coming on late and everything like that. They just weren't able to get the division. So they were sitting there in the five. It's kind of a similar story now where the Eagles, who for all intents and purposes should win the division and get the one seed and all that kind of stuff. But they're up there. They're going to be the one seed, but that the second best team that a lot of people might consider is not the Vikings. Um, I'm trying to think who's even in the three spot right now. Oh, the Niners. It's not the Niners because they have Brock Purdy. Unfortunately, it's the Cowboys. And that's kind of what it is. And it's a little bit more even spread. The AFC though, is just stacked. We obviously know about the bills. We know about the chiefs. We know about now the Bengals and everything like that last year and this year. I mean, those are your top three. Those are juggernauts. Your four 
it seems like it's going to be a pretty hot Jags team at this point in time, to be honest. Malik Willis in Tennessee is just ugly at this point in time. So <laughs> uh, Jags are coming on there. I'm going to be honest. Doug Peterson is their head coach and they kind of are figuring things out. Trevor Lawrence has been very impressive the past few weeks. That's a weird force. It's kind of going to be, you know, 2020 reflection here. It's going to be like that Washington commanders or Washington football team at the time where they can at least make some noise and be a problem to whoever they play against. I think they remind me kind of like the Bengals last year. Bengals were not impressive in the regular season, but their quarterback kind of like hit that stride at the end of the year. And and it was like, you know, they kind of figured out late in the year. Why not us? Yeah, and, and that's absolutely spot on, too. I, I just kind of go with the more 2020 commanders just because it's kind of like the record doesn't reflect that they're going to be any good and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But they kind of like figured out their stride late, and it's kind of an at afterthought that they're like, oh, they're going to be that forgotten four seed. The five seed who's most likely, it seems like, going to be the Ravens are going to have this, we'll call it the cupcake matchup in the postseason. But, I mean, as someone that bets – if I see Jags hosting Ravens and Lamar isn't a hundred percent Josh, but then all of a sudden the Ravens are still being favored in any sort of capacity. I am going to be really thinking mm-hmm. about betting the Jags as a home dog in the playoffs. That is going to be very, very difficult. I mean, I look at like situations like let's, let's talk about the uh, six, eight and one Panthers hosting the 10 and six Cardinals. I don't actually want to talk about this, but that happens in this Panthers team can only win six games and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, boom, they beat the, you know, Cardinals. Now there were crazy things going on in that game, but regardless, like crazy things can happen. So regardless, the AFC and this game is going to shape all of that because it could be the Bengals in the one. It could be, of course, the Bills in the one. It could be the Chiefs in the one. It's going to be nuts. And this game is what everyone's going to be watching in the entire National Football League because this is going to be the one that could effectively determine where that big giant of a conference is going to have to go through, whether it's Orchard Park, Arrowhead, or Cincinnati, which do they still call it Paul Brown? I feel like they got a sponsorship now, so I didn't want to like do Some that kind of energy. Me. I think, yeah, Some energy feel. Oh, that's, that's Arrowhead now. That's uh, let me see, whatever. But anyways, it doesn't matter. Or Cincinnati. <laughs> this the, that game's going to drive it all. It's going to be an exciting game. I can't wait to do our pregame, Josh. Oh, me either. I'm I'm psyched. Yeah. Paycor Stadium. You could have given me two more hours, Luca. I would not have landed on Paycor. Yeah, I would have never guessed that one, too. No. But yeah, Built in Buffalo Live, you know, you and I are going to be on there Friday night, and I cannot wait. I am shockingly not going to the Bandits game that night because I cannot wait for the show that we have entailed for that one. Because for all intents and purposes, until the playoffs come, this is the biggest game of the season. This is going to effectively either affirm the goals that we had going into the year or just completely pull us down to earth and bring us to a place that we don't want to be because our goal going into the season cannot be met due to the unfortunate result that hopefully does not happen in that Monday night game that I'm not even going to say what the result would have to be in that case because I don't want to jinx it. So yeah, it's all I can think about, you know, to, to bring it all the way back to where you kicked it over to me, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. It's all I can think about. It's, it's probably going to be all I can think about this week, especially being that I'm off all week, Josh. I'm probably going to be doing show prep all week, getting ready for it. I'm ready for it too. And this is one of those games where I would love to tell you, like sitting here on 
December 25th, Merry Christmas again, that I have a strong feel for who's going to win this game. But I absolutely, my process is going to want to dive in, see some matchups. The Lyle Collins injury is huge. I will counter it with, I think, to this point, the Bills have done pretty well with the Von Miller injury. This is the game, though, where especially with the Collins injury, but even prior to that, that I have been pinpointing as like, this could be the one where they really feel the loss of Von Miller. You hope not. You hope someone like a Rousseau or an AJ Epinesa, who like very quietly has seven sacks this year, can really take advantage of what they throw out there at left tackle. The Bengals are also going to be without Sam Hubbard. Trey Hendrickson's playing through an injury. He should be out there. Hayden Hirsch was a late scratch last week. It sounds like he's probably going to go this week. But, you know, they're dealing with injuries on their own. I think it'll be a good game. Luca, what are we going to do next week, though? Because we have the Friday night show, and then Bill's chat would come out on Monday, which would also be prior to the game. I feel like maybe we should sort this out on the air. Should we like delay Bill's chat by a day so we can do a post game show? Or do you want to take two cracks at this pregame show thing? No. Peek behind the curtain, people. This is Luke and me talking about it on the air. <laughs> yeah, this is live on the spot. Um, no, we we may have to have discussions and just yeah. do it as a post game. It might be a delayed Bill's chat. So just to give everyone a heads up here, might be a delay. You might not get your lovely Bill's chat podcast bright and early on a Monday morning, getting you hyped up. Maybe what we can do, Josh, is delay posting an audio of our built in Buffalo live for anyone that may have not been able to appreciate it, you know, as we mm -hmm. do it live. And we can release that on Monday morning to get them hyped up and show them what our pregame was and then do our bill chat on Tuesday. We'll mm -hmm. have to figure that one out, figure out the we'll details, out. see what we can do. But yeah, that might be the way because then we can get a nice live reaction to the game because what we would be doing in that world is recording immediately after the game ended and i'm sure the first question out of your mouth to me is going to be luca how are you feeling after the game ended and whatever had happened just had happened and it's going to be very emotional the most emotional reaction to that question that you have ever asked me so it will be an interesting time but yeah i think that's going to be the game plan as long as everything goes well Luca, how are you feeling when that 60-yard Tyler Bass field goal splits the uprights as time oh. expired to give the Bills the 31-30 to 30 victory over the Bengals? Oh. Oh. Just, Man. I mean, this game is going to be a beaut. All right. Well, Luca, this abbreviated show ended up being about 70 minutes. That's very typical for us. I know we've many a time said off air, hey, don't have a lot of time tonight. Let's keep it at like 30. But then we get on here, we start talking ball and it always ends up going longer than we expect. But I appreciate you hopping on on your Christmas. I, you know, I know you said it was kind of low key, but it's not lost on me that you made time and you, you know, peek behind the curtain. I have two kids. I had more family stuff going on with Luca. I do appreciate you. Um, you know, being flexible with my schedule. Um, I guess on this Christmas day, I should tell you, I appreciate you as a partner too on this, on this little venture we're on. I think we're both kind of excited about where this is going and, and the traction we feel like we've gotten. And obviously we appreciate the listeners out there. And, you know, this is Luca and my first run through the season. And we just could not be more excited about the interaction we get on a daily basis on, on game days, we, we love every minute of it. We love being able to bring our show to you and share this platform with you. Um, so we will be back next Friday, this coming Friday, Bill's Chat Live, as I would say to my nephew to make him facepalm. It's going to be lit because I try to be cool. And he's like, that's not cool. Don't say it. You can't get away with it. 
But this Bills-Bengals game is as big as it could possibly be. Everything the Bills have been building towards since that 13-second fiasco is on the line as far as regular season goes this coming Monday, and we're going to be talking about it. We hope you will join us. And then Luca and I will be back early next week with Bill's Chat. Right now, potentially as a post-game show, we'll just keep it locked into Bill's Chat Pod on Twitter, and we will let you know. But for Luca, I am Josh. We will see you next time on Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast.